When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're into extra time. Hi, Barry Guy here. And the issue of cards and sport has made the headlines this week, both in rugby and cricket. Are there disciplinary problems in two of our favourite games? One of the greats of New Zealand rowing passes away. And we go medical this week with the mechanics of running and the value of having an ice bath after you've exercised. Cricket has taken a step to stop any unsportsmanlike issues with the introduction of cards for bad behaviour, allowing umpires to send players off. From October, umpires will have greater powers to control bad behaviour. This week, there was somewhat of a showdown between the Indian and Australian teams during the second test, with the home side accusing the tourists of crossing the line when it came to the use of the decision review system. The umpires and referee there did a good job to defuse the issue. We're joined by sports editor and cricket reporter Stephen Hewson. Stephen, just run through some of the things that will be introduced. It's, it's all pretty radical, actually, Barry. I mean, we're about to see possibly players sent off the field for the first time. What they've, what they've done, if it's given umpires the power to effectively give players a, a yellow card or a red card like we have in rugby and football, um, for if, if they break the rules to such a, a degree that, they, that an umpire feels a player should be sent from the field. We're talking something about like physical violence or extreme abuse of, a, of an umpire, but if we're talking about the gentleman's game, you know, we're talking about a, ma- a game that's been around for, for centuries, this is all quite radical. So the ICC, uh, sorry, the, the MCC, the Marylebone Cricket Club, which is the custodians of the laws of cricket, um, is planning to introduce this from October. It doesn't quite mean, though, that every we're all of a sudden going to start seeing players sent from the field, because what uh, happens now is each country is then uh, responsible for uh, deciding to implement or, or not these laws in the in the game in their own country, and the ICC uh, is responsible for international or introducing it at international level. So uh, while the MCC has said this is the way they want it to go, um, it's not a, not a done and dusted sort of uh, ideal, I suppose. A um, couple of other things too that of interest with this is the reduction in the size of bats. Um, we're probably used to sort of seeing these big thick pieces of timber that the likes of David Warner and Chris Gale use and, and belt the ball so much further than, than in previous years. Uh, so they're reducing the depth of the bats, so there's not going to be as much wood in them, which means players won't be able to hit the, the ball as far. Um, runouts, uh, an interesting point there is the law that's going to be introduced because uh, whereby if a batsman or batswoman grounds her, his or her bat over, over the crease line, that's going to count as having made your, cre- made your crease. And other times, what's happened is a player might have grounded their bat and then leapt in the air to avoid a ball coming in from the boundary and the ball's at the wickets and they're, they're technically actually out. Uh, I think it's happened to certainly Neil Wagner in a, in a test match recently. Um, yeah, so, so sort of a couple of quite uh, interesting changes uh, about to uh, come into effect. Uh, we had a particularly uh, feisty game uh, in India this week, uh, India against Australia, the test match there. You talked about uh, 
yellow and red cards. But, um, I mean, are we getting to the stage when, where it's perhaps getting a bit too physical? I mean, um, I perhaps, perhaps haven't noticed that it's got to that stage, or they just want to preempt something. Yeah, I think possibly with the ICC, it may be looking at it more at sort of club type level, where you do get a few instances of, of, of violence when you, especially you know, at, at that lower level. I mean, as far as the India Australia game goes, yeah, I mean, it, it looked as though it could have got to that point, didn't it? It could have been a bit of bumping and shoving and bat prodding, perhaps. But uh, yeah, that was just uh, quite, <laughs> quite amazing because you've got. You know the Indians who are uh, well known for their vociferous and uh, uh, often appealing, uh, and, and the Australians who are well known in the, for, for sledging their, their uh, opponents. So uh, two sides that are very verbal on the field, and that sort of got to that point when uh, we had uh, uh, Stephen Smith look up to the uh, uh, the players area for to see whether he should look and review a decision when he was given out LBW because there was a TV sitting outside the, the players' lounge there and he had a quick look to see whether he could get a half an eye on that before deciding whether to appeal. And, of course, that set Virat Coley off and he complained that the Australians had been doing that throughout the match, even when they were in the field. Uh, and he said they had, were all but cheating. So... Uh, yeah, it uh, sets things up for for the third test uh, quite nicely because that series is now level at one all after the Indians won the, the second test. Thanks very much, Stephen Hewson, our cricket reporter. New Zealand rowing lost one of the legends of the sport this week with the death of former Olympic champion Dudley Storey. He was 77. Storey won gold as part of the Cox Four at the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City and silver at the 1972 Games in Munich. Dudley Storey also managed the New Zealand eight that won back-to-back world championship titles in 1982 and 83. He was appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire for services to rowing in 1983. Radio New Zealand's Jerem Svetanovic spoke to Storey as part of a programme he was putting together in 2014. The two caught up at the Cambridge Town Cup age group regatta on Lake Karapiro. Rowing is a lifestyle. And it's not a game. And a lot of people sort of say to me, oh, it's, you know, because I, I just say, if you, if you, if you, if you uh, want a lifestyle and you want to take up a sport, you take up rowing. If you want to have a game, go and play netball, go and play rugby, go and play softball. You know, that's games. This is not a game. This takes the four people in the case of these fours, or eights in the case of eights, who have a, uh, a very good um, uh, respect for the people they row with. In any other one of these boats that is out here, there are no stars. Like you and I could go and play rugby, we can go and play netball, we can go and play softball. The pitch is the star in softball, right? The, uh, the halfback or first five is usually the star in a rugby game. The shooter's the star, not necessarily in this order, not necessarily am I 100% correct, but the shooter is the person that's the star. Mm. Even I know Irene Van Dyke, but I can't tell you who plays centre, you know? This, there are absolutely no stars. I couldn't tell you the name of any one of these girls on these boats. And in most New Zealand boats, with the exception of single scholars, in case we all know um, Emma Twig and... and uh, Everswindell girls. The Everswindell girls and Juliet Haig and Mahi Drysdale and Rob Waddell. We know those individuals. But if you put, if, you, if, if I was to ask anybody who was in the New Zealand men's quad at the, at the London Olympics, nobody could tell you. Who was in the women's one, nobody could tell you. And who was in that men's under 23-8 last year that won the gold 
at the under 23 world champs. Most people couldn't tell you. Mums and dads could, of course. Yeah. But having gone to three Olympics, Dudley, I mean, as a, how do you describe it? Is it sort of something that bites you and never lets you go? This oh, sport? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard, I've heard golfers talk about golf. I go down and play golf every day, otherwise I don't feel I'm alive, you know. Rowan's worse. <laughs> Rowan's worse. Except, of course, you have to rely on a lot more people. You have to rely on your coach. You have to rely on your parents in the case of the kids. You have to rely on the equipment being ready or maintaining the equipment. You have to, you know, you have to have a shed to house it in. It's a very, very expensive business, and uh, therefore, you know, if the parents are putting all the money into the kids, then you know they expect a little bit of reward. So, there's, you know, every school, my guess would be, would have some sort of cut-off period where they'll go up to these kids and they'll say, "You have to promise me." you're going to go through to the end of March. Just don't come on a Monday and a Tuesday and yep. come on a Saturday, Sunday and hope like hell, you know. You've got to commit for the whole seven days a week for the next four months, five months, six months, depending on the training period. And at school I was at, we used to get the kids to sign a piece of paper. And right. it's like being married to them. you got to say, you are married to me for the next six months. That's all there is to it. <laughs> so, Dudley, having... I guess got a fair bit out of the sport with a gold medal. You, you and you, um, and a lot of your contemporaries seem to have been keen to put something back in as well. Everyone, you have a look down here. You know, Warren Cole is involved still. He's, he's although he's a little bit crooked right now, but he's involved. He's a member of KRI, which runs this whole this whole base of rowing. Uh, Dick Joyce is up here. He's again one of my contemporaries. You have a look around some of these uh, on the on the umpires base. You'll find they are former rowers. And if you have a look at who's coaching Waikato Dio, Gary Robertson, bowman of the 1972-8. All these people are still involved. That's how much it bites you. Dudley Story talking in 2014 to Jerem Svetanovic. And you're listening to Extra Time. Let's talk cards again. And one of the talking points this week from round two of Super Rugby was the yellow card given to Highlander centre Malakai Fikatoa. The All Black was deemed to have been at fold when the Crusaders' David Havili was going for a high ball and then fell heavily. Many rugby followers felt that there was very little else Fikatoa could have done and that the card was harsh. RNZ's rugby reporter is Joe Porter. Joe, you've been studying the incident. What are your thoughts? Certainly with the case of Malakai Fikator on the weekend, you would say that he was hard done by. He went up to try and contest the aerial ball. Unfortunately, on the way to contesting it, he hit another of the Crusaders players, which of course made his leap not as high or as expansive as he would have liked. And then he sort of somewhat clumsily but not deliberately tripped uh, Havili over or tipped him over and Havili landed quite awkwardly and was concussed, which of course is very dangerous. So it's right to take a look at this aerial contest issue because head knocks and concussions are becoming far too prevalent in rugby and the long-term effects of those can be catastrophic. So it's right to take a look at it. However, Malakai Fikatoa could have done nothing else other than what he did, other than, of course, not contesting at all, which takes that out of the game. So I think he was harshly punished. The fans were and the Highlanders were punished, of course, by losing a key man in the 73rd minute of a match, which they went on to lose in the final stages. So it robbed the game of a player, it robbed the game of a spectacle and it also was harsh on Fikitoa. Perhaps the rules need to be looked at and changed to avoid these kinds of situations in the future because I can't see dishing out yellow cards to anyone who contests a ball uh, having any sort of 
long-term effect on it. They need to change the rules and perhaps look at that highball contest and see what they can do to minimise uh, the potential for players to be tipped up and landing on their heads, necks or backs. Yeah, because, I mean, Fikitar, in a way, he, he could have just stood his ground but been looking up at the ball and the opponent could have still just gone over him. And again, that's a very uh, difficult situation. But World Rugby, of course, wants to make the whole game contestable, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a tricky one. And, and as you said, I, I think the key was that um, he got yellow carded at an important time. Yeah, maybe it should be looked at afterwards. Yeah, that's people have suggested this week that perhaps one way to deal with it is to, if there is a moment like the Malakai Fikitoa David Havili incident, it gets put on report by the referee, someone's been badly hurt, that moment gets put on report, and so someone later on, a siding commissioner or whoever it may be, can look at the footage and see if anyone is culpable for what happened to David Havili, therefore not removing Fikitoa at that crucial point in the game and not robbing the fans of the spectacle and, and the Highlanders of, of a key player at a crucial time. So it wouldn't have affected the outcome of the game if Fikitoa is found to be culpable later. He can cop a ban or a suspension. However, it doesn't influence it at the time. And therefore, if he isn't found to have had any responsibility in what happened to Havili, the game carries on as normal and no one's unfairly punished. That's a good way to look at it. However, it doesn't, of course, address the issue of the players being hurt when this high ball is contested. So perhaps the rules around what happened there need to be, but I can't see a simple solution to it. Thanks, Joe. Sticking with rugby, and the name Barrett is set to continue for a while at the Hurricanes, it seems. Bowden Barrett's efforts last Super Rugby season as they won the title for the first time resulted in him becoming the first choice All Black First Five. The arrival of his younger brother, Geordie, has created plenty of excitement of its own. They continued the legacy started by their father, Kevin Smiley Barrett, who famously replied when asked what he was going to do after the last of his 167 games for Taranaki, I'm going to breed some All Blacks. There are five sons and three daughters in the Barrett clan, and rugby reporter Joe Porter caught up with Bowden to talk about what it was like growing up in a rugby-mad family, in a rugby-mad province, and whether or not there was any pressure to succeed in sport. Not at all. I guess it was always fun uh, playing different types of sports. Mum and Dad gave us kids a great opportunity to do so, so we chose rugby quite naturally. And um, yeah, it's been a, an awesome ride so far, and it's good to see the likes of Scott and Geordie coming through as well. Having a very talented sporting family, the Christmas get togethers in the backyard cricket or water fights must have got quite intense at times. Yeah, very intense, um, particularly cricket, uh, young Geordie used to steam in, um, almost almost in tears, uh, you know, just, I, I have fond memories, um, you know, on the back, back lawn, whether it was playing cricket or playing rugby, but, um, you know, it's where we learnt a lot of our skills too. I guess, and having Geordie here, obviously, you know, he wants to carve a niche for himself and step outside of your shadow a bit, so it's, it's quite difficult. I mean, how do you encourage him and... and, and help him, I guess, find his way in Super Rugby as a professional without stepping on his toes, without causing him to be looked at as Bowden's younger brother, but, of course, without ignoring your bond as brothers. He's already bigger than me, and he already has, um, you know, probably more t- potential than me. He's got a different skill set. Um, he's a bigger boy, so, I mean, I don't, I'm not a controlling big brother. I just let him be... Um, he may learn things from me just by watching, but I'm certainly not lecturing him at home. So I think it's great. It's awesome watching him develop, and um, yeah, any opportunity I can to help him out, I, I do that. What about sibling rivalry? Is he trying to usurp you as goal kicker for the team? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, he's always launching into a few big kicks out here. So 
I mean, I'll be more than happy to give them an opportunity if, if we're on the field at the same time, particularly further out. What about banter? Do you tease him much around the place? Uh, not too much. He's got everyone else teasing him, so <laughs> I don't really need to. Um, so I guess as growing up, there's always the little brother that tried to join in on everything, and um, I was the big brother being mean and keeping him away, so um, there's always been a little bit of that growing up, but um, yeah, like I say, he's, he's copping plenty of uh, banter from the other guys. Has he got any secret talents that you wish you had? He bakes good muffins. He made some last night, actually. I can't bake a thing. You know, I, I cook him dinner, but uh, I can't bake, so... Baking, there's a science involved. Cooking, you can be a bit more yeah. freestyle with it. Exactly, so it's... Uh, you have to, be, I guess, follow the recipe pretty close when it comes to baking, whereas cooking, you can sort of wing it a bit. Um, but he makes good chocolate chip muffins. That's Bowden Barrett talking with Joe Porter, and you're listening to Extra Time. Ever wondered why some people appear to run so easily while you may be staggering uncontrollably as you make your way around the block to keep fit? Well, there are more than just genetics when it comes to the way we run. Professor John Mercer from the Biomechanics Department of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, has been speaking in New Zealand about what it takes to run and why we run the way we do. Professor Mercer says there are so many factors that play a part in the way we run. What's interesting is when we start looking at running as we become fatigued, what's surprising often is how subtle some of the changes are when we have people run the same speed but get fatigued. So if we tell people just continue to run with a certain pace, even if they're getting fatigued, there's only very subtle changes in uh, what the running style looks like. But if we say run at a speed and just keep running until you eventually fatigue and then eventually stop, then we actually see lots of changes in uh, running style. Uh, so that's an interesting part. Uh, the other interesting part is when we put people in different running shoes, uh, we, well, let me back up. We do a lot of running shoe research, and we can uh, bring a, a, a series of 10 shoes into the lab, and we can do some mechanical tests, and we can rank order those shoes in terms of how much impact energy they absorb from the most to the least. And we've perfectly uh, laid that out from mechanical tests. But then when we put people in those shoes, all bets are off in terms of what actually happens. And we can take the shoe that has the least energy-absorbing capabilities, but yet someone will hit the ground with less force uh, because they've changed the way they run based upon wearing uh, that shoe. And so uh, what the message that, that we uh, have come from our, our research is uh, the shoe that is right for me isn't necessarily the shoe that's right for somebody else because their running style is different, uh, their expectations are different in the shoe, uh, and they're built differently, and therefore the shoe uh, should be different. So I used to run when I was younger, but now I say I'm 50-something. I'm probably hunched over, my style is not anywhere what it should be. Someone from my age can still change and adjust to what would be best for me? Oh, yeah. It, it's amazing how uh, at any age someone can start running and get you know the benefits of, of running, uh, the physical benefits, the health benefits, uh, that's regardless of age. And uh, you know, at any age, uh, you'll see people pick up uh, running and improve their running 
over a period of time. Uh, recently, you had the um, Ironman New Zealand here, and it's really interesting looking at the athletes in the older age groups. You know, the oldest person there was 77. I don't know when he started running, but he may have only started you know, five, ten years ago. And that's not uncommon in an event like that, that the older athletes may have only been in the sport for a short period of time. And they have, in that period of time, uh, improved their running ability and style uh, to where they're able to do an event like uh, Ironman New Zealand. Professor John Mercer. So there you go. Running is a bit more complicated than we think. So if you do a lot of running or play sport, do you then use an ice bath? The idea of the freezing water is to help muscle recovery after exercise. Well, new research suggests that it could be a waste of time. David Cameron Smith is a professor of nutrition at the Liggins Institute at Auckland University. In intense exercise, intense sport, particularly where there's physical contact, there is always going to be bruising and tearing and muscle damage. And the repair of that process, or the process of repair, involves a significant period of inflammation and muscle soreness. And so the original theory was that if you cool the muscle down, you reduce the blood flow, you reduce the level of inflammation, and you allow the muscle to get back on and repair itself in a nice, slow, gentle environment. But of course, that inflammation and that process of repair is very necessary in speeding up the recovery or, or optimising the recovery. That, so, so what we demonstrated was that ice baths slow down this process of recovery and actually impair the ability of athletes to regenerate that tissue and get back out playing at their optimal level. Sorry, they do more harm than good is what you're telling me. They make things worse. Oh, they absolutely make things worse. And so we've, we've demonstrated that now in three separate studies. So this is a study that was connected um, right across the world. So you indicated that we are indeed working with an Olympic research group out of Norway, um, some experts from the Australian Institute of Sport and the Queensland Institute of Sport, and then, of, and then of course, our team. And so the reason we were involved in this research is because we're experts in trying to tease apart how muscle repairs and regenerates. So this is not research for the faint-hearted. Um, we got some hardy volunteers to participate in intense exercise, and then we took small pieces of their muscle from their thigh. And so we, we looked at that process of repair right down inside the muscle. And so the first thing we demonstrated was that there was no reduction in inflammation. So that's the very basis of the theory. Sitting in a cold water bath reduces blood flow, reduces inflammation. Well, well there is no inflammation. Then we looked at the processes and pathways by which muscle needs to go through to get bigger and stronger. Reduced. Then we did another study where we took people over the course of a 10-week training program and every time they exercised, and so this is really intense exercise, every time they exercised, we gave them an ice bath or the control group got to cycle on a bike for 10 minutes at room temperature. The sad news is that ice baths reduced the muscle gain, so that's the size of muscle, but importantly, they were weaker at the end of that study. They didn't gain strength like the control group. David Cameron-Smith talking to Catherine Ryan. That's extra time for this week. Follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.